Welcome to another episode of Recipe to Success. This one is really a treat. You guys have been asking for a female guest and I couldn't have thought of anyone better than Nada herself. So let's go straight into it. Nada, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, So let's start the show by introducing yourself Mm because I think a lot of people in the the music industry are aware of your face and aware of you, but there might be people that don't know who you are. So how would you introduce yourself? Um, Yes, I would just introduce my such an interesting i've never i've never been on this side yeah, before yeah, yeah. so this is really like interesting you've been me. in like informal ones but more like, like yeah not, like not really podcast. your story yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. just like featured on podcasts so if you ask questions i'm like oh my god this is so foreign but um so yeah just the presenter uh content creator um yeah i think that's 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 what we're gonna go with it so what's some of the the biggest shows that we can expect to see like that we have seen you on so the listening party so i did uh the listening party on link up tv which has gone on now for a little over a year um what else like um i've recently just hosted a lot of panels so working on like music panels um yeah like it's very it's very like sporadic and all over the place it's funny when when you start something and, and then you're like okay i'm just trying to get bookings wherever i can so then you end up just finding yourselves with brands mm-hmm. or um with platforms as well so it's kind of it's that vibe okay so where did it all begin because obviously now like for example i've seen you on listening party and i've mm-hmm. seen that you not only have a very credible opinion but people actually listen to what you have to say mm-hmm. so and I think maybe sometimes sometimes people don't even know the context of you yeah. um, with your opinion so that's why I wanted to have you on because I feel like when you are saying stuff it's actually thought out and you're really like you've really dived into the music scene oh thank you Hams. you're like no you're really <laughs> like stroking about you right now um, so the beginning of, like the beginning the beginning um, I actually went to university for, I didn't actually grow up in the UK at the beginning. So I was born here, but then my mom, ma- my mom, my mom, <laughs> my mom is a teacher. So she just wanted to travel abroad and ma- mainly across the Middle East. So I spent most of my time in Dubai, Bahrain, Egypt, uh, France. What's your ethnicity? Because I think there's Algerian. a lot of, there's a lot of confusion. There, there is. Yeah, there is. I say it a lot, but I always get the same question. It is Algerian. So I'm fully Algerian. Um, I'm Berber as well, which is like a, a, a different tribe. So we have like our own culture, our own language um, and everything. But I learned Arabic from being out in the Middle East as well. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how that happened. Then I came back for university. Um, so I went to the University of Kent and I studied English and French law because I'm just from a very traditional background. It's like, ah, lawyer, ah, you know, that is that is your thing. But I was always into politics because my parents are political refugees. So um, that was kind of just always there. Um, so, yeah, I did that, but was doing radio at university. And I'm just a big, I'm a huge music head and consumer of content like for the longest before I realized it was actually consuming content and we had this name for what it mm. was um interviews and just like old school like hip hop documentaries and stuff that was that was my thing because I always grew up on old school hip hop music as well so then yeah did that did radio at university was open to this world of social media because I was never on social media before I really came to the UK um and then was like, wow, like people can actually make careers out of that, which you don't even think like is a career. Um, especially at that point, I was like, no, you can actually do it. So I was like, you know what? Left uni, got my degree. I was like, okay, mom, please kind of be happy with this one. Let me just try and figure it out for the next year or two. And um, 
just jumped straight into it. So I'm from Reading as well. So I wasn't from London and it was just, yeah, thrown into the deep end. Uh, the first thing I tried to do, I think, was networking. That's like what everyone says, oh, networking this, networking that. Um, so that's the first thing I tried to do. And the summer of university, of when I broke up and graduated, I met my management team, who are now my management team, but they weren't that at the time. And they manage uh, some incredible producers like P2J, TSB, um, EY, Jay Warner, who's an incredible singer-songwriter. Um, yeah, Lola Ray, she's an Afrobeat artist. Some incredible like talents, like real, real talented music, pe music people. Um, so I met them and then it ended up just kind of tagging along with them. Like I was almost interning, so I was just shadowing everything they were doing. Um, and so you really started from the bottom? Yeah, literally. So just shadowed everything they did. And what happened after that? Yeah, then I was still trying to make the moves into presenting. I told them this is presenting is what I want to do. They were like, we'll support you in any way we want to support you. Um, and yeah, threw myself in, just DM'd everyone, applied for everything. People don't know I DM'd them that I actually meet now and they're like, hey, and I'm like, oh my God, if you look at your DMs, like I've definitely <laughs> DM'd you for something. Um, so yeah, then Listening Party came about and I think that's when I, I casted for it. So everyone at the Listening Party actually was handpicked apart from me, which I sent a ca casting video for. And um, yeah, sent that off to Rashid got a call back was like oh we're doing this thing come along we didn't know what it was going to be we had no idea really what we were doing they just will come here we're gonna review music but -da -da -da. um so yeah that happened and that kind of propelled listening party has really evolved over the years yes yeah because there was one before so mm -hmm. where the original cast was still malaika taser, taser. um and some other people like marv was on it um, and then I think they stopped it for a bit, they came back and they rebranded. Mm -hmm. um, but I had never seen the listening party before the listening party now. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's kind of... So you must get a lot of people that say, what makes you an expert in the music industry? Do you know what it is? This is so annoying, right? This is probably one of the most annoying things that came out, I think, out of the listening party and we still get it to this day. It's like, who are these people talking about music? Like they know anything about music. And that was never the basis of the listening party. The listening party was, and it says in the intro video, it is real people, real opinions. I think, and I'm speaking on Rashid's behalf, but what he tried to create was bring people in with personalities that genuinely have a love for music, mm -hmm. but it's almost like it's you and your friends sitting on a sofa just talking about music. Not all of your friends are experts yeah. in music, yeah. but they have an opinion. It's almost like a, well, it is more of a real conversation. And yeah. it's like, this is what people are doing behind closed doors. 100%. Like, that's the thing. Where, where if you got five, six, seven industry people and had them speaking about music from the get-go, there already is an element of censorship because you don't really want to be 100% honest on mm. a public platform like Link Up TV. Whereas if you get people that just have no real allegiances or, or care or just want to be honest and transparent, you're more likely going to get what is probably like, you know, social media-y content, you know, viral content that's like polarizing, but then also people resonate with because they're like, hold on, I say this in my free time too. So that's what Listening Party was. It wasn't about getting 
crazy experts and A&Rs and, and, you know, producers to come on. It was just, I think, real, real people and real opinions. Mm -hmm. But it's, come, it's become such a huge platform. Obviously, Link Up TV is a huge platform in itself, yeah. but Listing Party has become, it was almost like, like it was almost like this was the resurgence of Link Up TV because Link Up TV, I think, was leading the, the industry and then mm -hmm. GRM started growing fast. And I think what started to happen was GRM started becoming a bit more of the voice of the new school of oh, artists. I agree. I do. And then, so it's, it was almost like this was a resurgence. So, and, and now you've got different Link Up TV originals coming about and things like that. Yeah. So it's like you are a part of the rebrand. I think, yeah, I think that's, a, that's a definitely a big thing to say. I think one thing that is different, and I don't know like the ins and outs on it, so I wouldn't want to be quoted on it, but I do know Link Up TV stayed 100% independent. Okay. So their thing was that, you know, complete creative control where I think GRM, uh, I don't know, they share independent, like I don't know the ins mm -hmm. and outs, I don't want to really speak too much on it. Yeah. But yeah, with that, it's like you are limited in terms of, of capacity, capacity, whether it's money or, because content, as you would know, is not cheap. Mm -hmm. Like to produce stuff, to film things, yeah. um, to pay people is not cheap. So, yeah, what I've like, and what I'm so proud of Link Up TV for doing, especially now with, like you said, the Link Up TV originals, is they're definitely coming into the almost documentation of um, the scene, which I feel like we've had it, but we were always comparing ourselves to Americans. Like, why is it Americans document mm -hmm. their their scene so well, and, and we don't seem to do it that well, or yeah. we don't we don't seem to do it as transparent? I think that's like the argument. Um, and the first thing is the UK scene is still very new. And we're now getting into that stage where people will be documenting on it because it's like, it's, it's a journey. Mm -hmm. It goes through your cyclical kind of thing. So yeah, that's that's why I think. But yeah, mm -hmm. it's a mm -hmm. nice thing to be considered <laughs> a part of. <laughs> so we'll go into like um, what that's led to and, and, and where you're going now. But mm -hmm. you mentioned um, that at the start you were DMing everyone yeah. and trying to network mm -hmm. and I think it's it's so clear that people nowadays they want a certain goal but they're not willing to necessarily put the work in and I think even me when I started out in business you know that was a great way to network because social yeah. media is at our disposal you have access to people whether they read it or see it you don't know but you've got to take the chance yeah. and that takes time it's time consuming mm -hmm. so when you were first DMing people and just trying to get different opportunities not even knowing where you were trying to go mm -hmm. what kept you going and being resilient it's like, I think I've always had the mindset of there's no other option. So going into presenting, it was like, I know where I'm gonna be. I see, I can already visualize my where I am 10 years from now. So there is no other option but to do that right now and do whatever you can. And because I wasn't on social media, I didn't have a social media, I, I wasn't that kind of person. I almost didn't have any pride. Like I was like, I have nothing to lose. I don't care. I think sometimes we're almost afraid to come across beggish or, you know, like, you know, sucking ass, mm. da, 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 da. Um, which is a mentality we just have to completely rid ourselves from um, because Americans don't really seem to do it. So I don't know why it seems like it's a big issue in the UK. Um, but yeah, so I didn't have that kind of like pride. I was just like anyone and everyone that I saw was doing something that I could get in some way somehow, um, I messaged, you know? Um, and then I, the first thing was probably represent. So I got a, um, a work experience at represent 
And then I just build a relationship with some of the presenters that were there. And then one of them, DJ Deluxe, who's like amazing, basically brought me on his show as a BA and then allowed me to have a feature on the show, which means I could get on the mic, even though I knew the team behind Represent hated it because it was almost, I think, a bit like cutting corners or whatever. Um, but that then opened me up to Henry, so who's now on like Kiss and um, on Spotify, and I was a BA for her show. So yeah, it's like, you just have to keep going. Like I just, like I still DM people to this day. Like even though I, I think, my pride sometimes still gets sometimes in the way of how it may come across or perceived, but I still do it and um, I still don't care. I don't have pride when it comes to work mm -hmm. because that is going to be the biggest hindrance, I think, if, if you have pride there. Yeah, because I feel like we're, especially in the UK culture, but generally as a generation, mm. we expect things to come to us yeah. and we think that we're going to do a certain amount of work and people are just going to you know, gravitate towards it and it's going to lead to good things. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like you have to go out and get it. Yeah. You're not entitled to anything. You're not guaranteed anything. You're not, you don't deserve anything until you are actually going out to chase it. So for anyone watching, uh, that's something I would definitely advise mm. is, you know, go out and do it just like you, you did. And the fact that you do it now, even to this day, it shows like, yeah. You, it worked for you, yeah. and so you're gonna continue doing it. To go off that one thing, because I have such an incredible team and they have supported me immensely, just like even just advice. One thing I will say though, which I, on retrospect, didn't need to do with the whole networking thing. I think we think like, oh, you know, networking is the most important thing, but there is no point in networking if you have nothing to bring to the table. Because the more you network, like you could be meeting the right people, but what, who are you? <laughs> like at the end it of the day. It has to be a two way thing. Yeah. And I think I got to a point when I realized like I was like, okay, I'm I'm, you know, building relationships with these people, cool, great. But what do I have to show from myself? And that's something I still talk about to myself to this day. Like, what do I actually have to show and bring like that can be trans unfortunately the world does kind of work in transaction. Um just the way it is mm -hmm. but you also have to be at a place where you can prove yourself and have something to bring so yes network but when I was going into rooms and it was almost like I think I'd have to ask myself why are you here anytime I went somewhere I was like okay so why are you here and what do you have to bring if you speak to this person and if you speak to that person so it's just always being quite conscious of that do you think that your upbringing and your background left a chip on your shoulder that you were really just trying to be a go girl and you didn't accept no? Yeah. Um, Maybe you haven't thought about it. No, that's <laughs> interesting, yeah. I think my mum is still not happy with what I do. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, she would love to tell her friends that, you know, her daughter's a lawyer. And I think she still does tell her friends I'm a lawyer, actually. <laughs> she doesn't tell much people what I do. But um, for her, it's like, look, if this doesn't work in a year, in two years, then you need to, you know go back into law and 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 do that so there was like a ticking time bomb of okay no like I need to prove not just to her but to my family and to people around me that this is going to work um so that kind of was also like a pushing force and even though I tell her I was like you know these things don't take two years they take like five to ten years um but she's like nothing takes five because <laughs> it's, it's that mentality of you know you don't work for free, like, you know, that concept of who works for free. And at the beginning of this and for a lot of other things that you want to do, you're going to find yourself working for free because you need to. That's part of that's building your portfolio. That's building, you know, 
honing in on your talent and and stuff. So yeah, I think that pushed me a lot to to go harder. And then also just to be this, you know, ugh, this cliche boss bitch or like, but to be this like, this woman that you're proud of and to be independent and, you know, to hold your own. So that's always been really important to me as well. So yeah, in that sense, probably my background did because my mum is very like that. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. there's probably a parallel there. So, you know, the fact that you came from a traditional family and you and you actually did the law degree, mm-hmm. maybe you didn't go on further than that and you always could if, if you wanted to, yeah. but the fact that you chose a career that maybe your parents wanted and that is traditionally successful, mm-hmm. but you chose your passion, what do you think the difference is internally for that? Because I'm sure you've thought about like what life would look like if you were a lawyer. 100%. Um, to dive a little bit that way and then come back that way. <laughs> That's how like my head works. Um, one thing I always realized that I didn't realize at the beginning of it is who am I to have the privilege to want to chase my dreams? Because my mom never had that. My dad never had, like people around us never had the privilege to chase their dreams because if you weren't making money <laughs> from whatever to support your family, um, you know, then if you weren't paying the bills you weren't successful you couldn't do that you couldn't so it's really a privilege to actually do this cliche thing of chasing your dreams um and then i do think of myself like i have breakdowns like my breakdowns i'm such an emotional i never realized how emotional i was until recently but it is literally like it would be so much easier to just drop this and actually do you know the nine to five and to do the law thing you know everyone around me would be happy my family would be happy you know money would be consistent and um already you know there <laughs> to prove um and in culturally it is also more acceptable so i'm re- like there's a religion part of things because my mom's muslim as well so she doesn't agree like I, she's seen the listening party one time she was like there's alcohol on the table <laughs> <laughs> and she's gone <laughs> no one time and, because the thing I, I do drink, so she saw me. Oh, drink! It was just it was it was it was game over. It was game over. I think she always kicked me out of the house. But um, so yeah, it's it's that thing of okay, it would just be easier to do that. And then I think, oh my god, like my body rejects it so much. I've done corporate work. I've done corporate world to to, you know, for the time being, for money, and it's like. My body just rejects it. It's almost like there's a weight on your shoulders. Yeah. Because I, I've I've been yeah. around people that have gone through certain situations and they've had to go through this nine to five. And mm. and by the way, there's nothing wrong with nine to five. At all. Like if if that's what you if that's what you want to do and that's yeah. the career that you 100%. that you want to aspire for, then that's that's amazing. But f- when it doesn't feel right, it's almost like it feels like every single day you're mm-hmm. fighting yourself. Yeah. And then the conversation becomes about well, you should be grateful, you've got a good job and you know, mm-hmm. why would you wanna you know, do this thing that's not gonna make you any money? But sometimes we have to experience it and yes, we may mm-hmm. fail, yeah. but we have to go through that journey to know. One million percent. What, because otherwise you don't know what that alternative is. Mm-hmm. It's so true and that's like coming back to saying about the night, if, if you have a passion for something, that passion can be that nine to five. So trying to get to that particular job role or that particular place, that's your passion, so you're going there. But when something isn't your passion and you actually do have a passion because a lot of us go through life not actually knowing what we want to do um which sometimes 
is a blessing because you can throw yourself into things and just be like, let me figure it out. Mm -hmm. But when you know exactly what you want to do, it's like, it's a blessing and a curse because you know exactly what you want to do, but if you're not doing it, you are not satisfied and you're not happy. So you're forever chasing doing exactly what you want to do. Mm -hmm. So it's like a, so when you okay so when you first started out and you were doing all the groundwork Mm -hmm. did you have a vision of where you wanted to go or or did it change as you grew i think the ultimate vision has always stayed the same like the ultimate one um i think the means to get there has changed and what i thought was important at the beginning now isn't very important which is a beautiful thing because i think it's like okay growth um so yeah the ultimate the, the the big dog vision clear as day clear as day um but yeah i think it's funny because when people say working hard not smart like i felt like at the beginning i was just tiring myself out trying to be in certain places because i thought that's what you had to do and now i look back at myself and think why were you trying to be everywhere like why (laughs) um and now and and certain places that i desperately wanted to be in now i wouldn't go anymore um because it doesn't, whether it doesn't align with really what you're trying to achieve um, or just being in the mix of things as well. Like, so yeah, the groundwork teaches you a lot. It, it shapes, cause I'm so bubbly and quite friendly and I've said this before, like um, it, it, sh- it kind of whips me as well into, into like, you know, you can't be too nice to everybody. Um, because it can come across naive and, and maybe at times I have been a bit naive in certain situations. Um, but yeah, it definitely strengthens you. It definitely strengthens you along the way. Cool. Let's talk about the perspective of a female now in mm-hmm. the scene and just doing your thing, whether it's in the UK culture or yeah. just in life. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm quite curious because we, 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 we haven't had that many female guests. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm intrigued to know your experience from your perspective mm-hmm. of being a woman in this day and age and whilst it has improved and you've seen growth Definitely. because of certain things certain moves, movements that have been that have happened this but despite that it seems like there's still a mm. long way to go yeah i feel like it's with anything um this is super like left, but I don't know why it's just come into my head, but you know, so the surviving R. Kelly documentary, right? <laughs> I was watching this documentary and I really could under like, yes, the girls were young. I could really understand the mindset of the girls because these for some reason were all women that were trying to get into the industry in terms of singing and something like that. So they saw this this guy, this all also powerful R. Kelly who came as this like knight in shining armor who wanted to help and like, I can help you with your career. And there's this like, oh, like, cool. <laughs> and meanwhile, there's an ulterior, um, alternative motive. And I think, again, I started really putting myself out there 20, like around 20 years old. Um, and yeah, when you are reaching out to people or something, a lot of it is unfortunately ulterior motives. Um, there had been a lot of situations. I remember one time, oh my gosh, there was one, <laughs> this was just like really, it was, um, I was working, well, I was supposed to be working as an artist um, in terms of artist relations. So when artists would come into the UK from America, um, I'd be like a point of contact. And, you know, I had a meeting with this guy who basically was telling me what it, what, what was gonna happen, kind of give me a schedule um, to find out two, three days later, 
he was like, okay, I need you to be here and here. And really and truly, it was actually just wasting my time just being around him. He actually just wanted me to be around him. <laughs> um, and it was, and you don't clock on. And, and I think that's where I've changed, changed my personality because you don't almost want to jeopardize a situation that you think is a situation, but it isn't really a situation. Because you think, okay, maybe I should just... Yes, yeah, so you don't want to address it. Yeah, you, you're almost like afraid to address it because you're like, oh, like maybe that will come across. Like you know, but you don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh, like, okay, let, let me give it one more day because, you know, maybe this was just a fluke. You're always making excuses. Um, so that, like similar things like that had actually happened where I'd go to someone for advice perhaps or, you know, maybe shadowing and, again, an ulterior motive. Um but you just you just take it on the chin you you work through it i think if i would have a conversation with myself back then i would tell myself um be more be more daring and and don't be afraid to ever come across as difficult mm -hmm. um because you know being difficult can save you from a lot of sticky situations so yeah that is definitely something and i know this isn't i'm not exclusive to this because I have a lot of friends as well who are doing the same thing that I'm doing who are coming up on their same same similar different journeys um, and they go through exactly the same mm -hmm. exactly the same um, and we share stories with each other and we're like like wow like what no way <laughs> and sometimes it's people we know and we're just like oh man um, so it is a thing it is a thing um, so it is for women to just be it is for men to fix up, but it's also for women to just take charge as mm -hmm. well and and like just come into, you know, you're just divine feminine. And just because because I think like a lot of people probably could relate. I mean, obviously females mm. um, per se, like whether that is in the music industry, whether that is just in a normal job, um, it's almost like there's always that issue of okay whether it's male attention whether it's um mm -hmm. lack of progression mm -hmm. um lack of opportunity yeah. whatever it may be and, and and whilst you have to be empathetic to to that especially me being a male like, i have to be empathetic towards that but at the same time what i say yes do the movement be a part of something and mm -hmm. try to make a change but because you do have a, almost a disadvantage yeah you have to just work that much harder yeah. and don't feel like you know, you owe anyone else anything for mm -hmm. doing this extra work, but it's just that, okay, these are the cards that were dealt to you. Now you have to just go above and beyond it's and like, do yeah. what you need to do. It's like complaining that you're poor in the same situation as someone rich. Like, it's like, unfortunately, you can't change your situation. You have to be aware of the situation. Um, and if you want to get there, unfortunately, that's just what you have to do to overcome it. So yeah, definitely be aware and then just push just push just push because mm -hmm. it's only going to shape you and make you stronger at the end of the day 100 percent, 100 percent. so let's go back to the story now so mm -hmm. you've now got involved in uh link up listening party mm -hmm. at what point did you feel like okay you know what this is actually this is taking off and this is actually a lot of people are really paying attention to it because at one point i remember like i used to watch it and I, I felt like a lot of people around me didn't know about it or mm -hmm. they just watched selective episodes but yeah. I was watching every single episode oh. and I, I found that over time people started realising and appreciating mm. and I think even Link Up started appreciating and they started thinking okay you know what let's be a bit more strategic we mm -hmm. have different guests and we'll have some consistent guests as well mm -hmm. and and that thought process shows that you know what it's, it's actually going in the right direction so what was that feeling like for you because you had done all that groundwork and now people were starting to appreciate you 
it was weird like um so the rest of the team used to get approached all the time like all the time they're like oh you're the and like i never got approached i used to think like wait no one knows it's like i was in this bubble of just no one knows um until I became aware, and then it's just because I'm, I walk quite blasé, but then I'll hear things like, oh, there's that thing for the listener. It's always that thing. <laughs> Why do people always, there's that thing for the listener party, there's that thing for the listener party. Um, but the day that I really realized it was when I was in Notting Hill Carnival, and it was like every five steps, it was like, listener party, thing from the listener party. I was like, what are people watching? And then, um, and then another thing is when artists actually would reach out to you or, or recognize it. It's actually really interesting. I, it almost felt like more people in the industry were watching it than just regular viewers. And rappers mentioning yeah. you in their lyrics even. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that was, I think that was the thing that I figured that I was like, because sometimes you do things and you think no one in the industry is gonna watch it. It's more for consumers. For consumers, but you, you're like, no, actually, we're being brought up in A and R discussions. We're being brought up in, in marketing strategies. We're being brought up, like, you know, in 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 label in the buildings and in, in label builders. And you're like, what? Like, that's that's crazy. Um, so that's kind of when it was like, oh, okay, no, people know who who we are and, and what it is. And and I think it was the first, and I wanna be careful to say this, it was daring. I think it was daring where, where speaking on music became quite sensitive because there is a sensitive culture when it comes to, to music in the UK. And it's maybe because it is people's art, but I think it's just, maybe it's because London's small. <laughs> maybe it, it, there's, a, there's a mixture of, mm -hmm. of things why it People could get be offended easily. Very, very easily. Um, and, but that's just a growth thing, I think. I don't know, is it? Who knows, actually? Yeah, knows? I mean, it, could it, be a culture. it is because if you think about it, like if you were just considered a no one, mm. then your opi opinion wouldn't mean anything. Mm. But it's because they value, value your opinion that yeah. If they feel like you've said something negative, it's almost personally affected them. I think that's what, I think it was the J1 episode that really made things turn <laughs> for, wow, like, okay, this random group of nobodies on Link Up TV spoke about a project and then that review went viral, which then affected or seemed to affect someone's career or, um, Maybe not say someone's career, but the opinion of consumers mm. on this person. Do you actually think about? It? I, I haven't actually thought about it. Like that. Yeah, no, it's, it's. Do you know what it is? Right? Have you ever heard a song and you might think like, "Oh, I really like this song," and then one of your friends will come and be like, "Nah, like, did you not clock that? That that, that that's dead. It's dead. It's dead." And then you're like, oh, "Okay, hold on. Maybe it is dead." But it's not because you can you're get not. Influence. Yeah, it's not because you're not strong in your own opinion. But in the subconscious, you're like, oh, I didn't realize that. Now I've realized it. Yeah, you're right. And I think that's what you know. But the thing is, music is so subjective. It's so subjective. Everyone's got their own opinion, 100%. and like, if if you're saying, because I I genuinely would see as when I watch it, mm. I just think, okay, you know what? What would I give? What would I give the okay. album? What, yeah. Okay. What's my thoughts on that? Like, I remember okay. watching. Um, the episode where you, where you guys were talking about K-Trap's album. Yeah. And um, everyone hated the song that I was actually feeling the most okay, at the time. But okay. then I realized, especially Margs, I don't know about everyone else, but especially Margs, um, he listens to it a lot of the time as a first listen. Mm -hmm. So 
sometimes when I listen to music for the first time, I don't like it. And then it grows on me. 100%. Do you know how many times I've looked back at an episode and think, why did I say that? Like so many times I'm like, okay, Nads, you were chatting shit there. Um, you didn't take that improperly. You were quick to say something. Like so many times. And I think people think that when our opinions are out there, that is our, you know, solid, concrete But it opinion. can change. It can change. And it is a first time. For most of them, it's a first time listen. Um, sometimes music takes like a week to sit with us or a month or a certain situation or an environment. So it's so subjective. Like, you know, and and that's going back to say like, no one's word is bond. Like, it's it's just that it, it makes me laugh actually when people say like, who do these people think they are? <laughs> so you're just kind of like, it's, it is what it is. But to be fair, this is, I would say, I'm, I'm guessing you would agree, this was this is your first big like experience yeah. in terms of, being out there yeah and you couldn't have chosen um, like a, a bigger platform mm -hmm. and you're the only one there that's actually asked them to be on it yeah essentially like yeah. you've you've casted Cast it. for it mm -hmm. and so you almost have an advantage over everyone else because you've done the work mm -hmm. you've got there and so now opinions of the general public especially if it's towards you mm -hmm. it just makes you thicker skinned it so does, it's like you've yeah. you've propelled your career by doing yeah. this I guess that's a, that's a really interesting way. I think everyone on that, everyone on that sits on the listen party has done their thing in some capacity. Like Hammer has been present, like she's been presenting for a, for, for a while. She was a presenter on Link Up TV. Um, Lippy and Tricky have for the culture. Mugs, rapper, Nash, you know, she did, uh, what's it called? Uh, Four Face, is that what it's called? It was like an agency, like a big modeling agency. So she's been around like the industry for a while. I think I was just the only, Malaika, back chat, um, she did listening party before. So yeah, coming in, it was just like a bit like fresh. Like I even remember, like shout out to Malaika because I remember the first day I met everyone, they were like, oh, we don't even like, this is actually a thing because if we're speaking on music, they they can come and, and she was like, but not you because no one really knows you, but like all of us. And I was just like, thanks, Malika. Um, So yeah, there is, I always looked at as that opportunity as a platform um, to kind of that, you know, I have such a love for, for the music and for everything it stands for and the culture and the scene, um, but, at the end of the day, we all know where we want to go. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, as like as much as I can bring me and and my difference to the like to the, to because a lot of them like used to say like ah oh, we all have our own little slogans if that makes sense like they call me like the international one because I'm always thinking of like international sounds because that's just my background and where I'm situated in. So yeah, definitely propelled, definitely mm -hmm. propelled me into kind of giving me a nice kickoff into, into what I really want to do. Mm -hmm. You mentioned at the start that um, we always look at America and mm -hmm. we see that as the goal. Mm. Um, but what I think people don't realise, especially now, is countries all over the world, they focus on the UK right now. American artists, they're trying to jump off, jump on the back of UK artists to a certain yeah. extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But where I'm going with this is your background, was, and you can you can give your opinion on yeah, this, yeah, by yeah. Me, but <laughs> your background, you weren't from the UK. Yeah. So how did you how did you get into the UK scene? Because it mm. could have been so many different paths. So something must have gravitated towards like the UK scene itself. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the UK scene, so I was born here and I was here up until like the beginning of secondary school. So um, 
but I, I made my friendships and like my friendship circles that I made when I was in primary school are still the same friends I have now. Wow. Yeah, in like, you know, they're still the same girls I'll, I'll, I'll call. Um, so we used to always keep in touch and we, all of us are like music heads. So we always shared music with each other. So I always still, even though I was abroad, my head was always still kind of in the UK. And part of it, because I didn't, when I moved, I didn't really want to move. It was a, it was a lot of things. So I stayed very connected and oh, okay, we're like, what's going on? And music just was the outlet that I kind of kept in touch with everything. So that's kind of just in that sense. But my, yeah, my everyday listens and my go-tos is American and French. French because- French is huge. Yeah, oh my God, I love French. Like I can't wait to, to really delve in. Like one of my goals is definitely to interview French artists in like French and English. Wow. Um, yeah, so um, French music, it, that's what I really grew up on because okay. of my family as well. Which is almost, it's, it's almost semi-linked because mm. there are a lot of French rap artists and they're, it's like, it's almost become like a big community. Like people do collaborate with each other. It's not yeah. a completely separate genre now. No, 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 no. Like French rap for me was always just like, it was just, it was so hardcore. Like it was such hardcore. It was the closest thing to American rap that I saw because I wasn't really a big fan of grime mm -hmm. um, because of, purely just because of sounds. Mm -hmm. Like it just didn't resonate with me because I wasn't here. Mm -hmm. So it was like French rap and then like old school hip hop. And so I was kind of listening to like De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, um, you know, Mo's Def. Then I was into like Neo Soul as well. So like the Erica Badu's, the Jill Scott's. Um, but I was very like, you know, Tlaib's, like all that kind of, that kind of side of, of hip hop. Um, and just naturally, just very political music. So it was it was always music that had this like strong kind of anti-establishment, anti like, oh. Controversial. Like, yeah, very controversial. Um, because yeah, being raised by like refugees, like, you know, um, we were just always connected to just, like my daily thing, like what we would do as a family is go on protests. Like I remember as kids, like that was like, oh, family outing, let's go on a protest. Iraq's going to war, <laughs> let's go on a protest. Like, you know, it is just... Do you remember like your, those years where... Yeah, very much so, yeah, very much so. I remember little things like controversial things because I would be around, my mum would just bring me along to debates and, and it was because it was part of the refugee camp where she would be. So um, people from all over the world and they would have the most interesting discussions and I remember when we were talking about, I think it was the Holocaust when I was in year six, and I remember getting expelled for like a comment I made. And I didn't understand it because as a child, your, your mind, mind is a sponge, so you're just regurgitating information you hear. And um, I think we were doing, talking about the Holocaust, one of the teachers said, there's never been anything like this before. Da, 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 da. And I think I said something like, which is really controversial, I was like, well, currently in Palestine, you could call it a semi-Holocaust. Um, of what's going on over there because, you know, the persecution of the Palestinians. And I remember like, <laughs> it was just like, what did you just say? And because I'd been hearing that from where I was and because there was a lot of like pro-Palestinian events and um, that's what I would attend because of my parents. Um, so yeah, I remember that was like the big, you know, shock of like, oh, politics, but yeah. I know it's pretty self-explanatory, but just in case anyone's watching mm. um, that doesn't exactly know what, what a political refugee is yeah. and what, what it means to have parents that are political refugees. Yeah. Let's go into that a little bit. So, um, that's really interesting. Um, my dad was part of the communist party in Algeria. 
Um, and this was a time where terrorism was at a high, like a real high. And um, he was very, very anti-state. You know, this was a time in Algeria where like literature and art and, and you know, the communist ideas like the Black Panther Party actually had refuge in Algeria at one point. Um, you know, people like Che Guevara and, and there was a lot of like communist influences. So yeah, my dad went to like, even so far as going to Russia for like, like it's really like, it's really deep. But then there was a point where there was hit list out for a lot of people and my dad was one of them. So when that had happened. Wow. Yeah, yeah so like terrorist hit list. And when that had basically happened and, and there had been attempted attacks on, on my family, they were like, okay, scare off, let's, let's move. Time to move. Yeah, time to move. So my auntie was in the UK. So naturally they seeked refuge here. Um, applied for political asylum which is what you can apply to a foreign country when in your country of, of refuge you're at risk your life is basically at risk mm -hmm. so they came into the uk um as political refugees and you know it, it, it's yeah so they stayed within like refugee camps um and yeah so that's their story they're there um but naturally the refugee camps were like kind of hubs, like cultural hubs. Like I remember my mum would say stories where, you know, families would invite them for weekends just to have like a time out. Um, and then, but in that everyone is talking, like politics is your life. When when that happens, you are a, like we're all political as human beings, whether mm -hmm. we don't believe in politics or not, like our existence is political. Um, so yeah, they, there was always just talks about that and just being raised in that environment it was just very, you know, very conscious of what is going on worldwide. Do you think that you had to work harder to have an objective opinion on things because you didn't want your parents' opinions to naturally be your thoughts? 100%, 100%. And like, I, I know me and my mum will debate about things to this day <laughs> um, because it is very situated from their experiences, um, very naturally as well, very, very naturally. So, you know, when you come out of it and, and you meet people from all over and, and who have different opinions and who have different situations themselves, mm -hmm. you're like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, the world is, is different. I remember I was, um, it, yeah, university was a really interesting time too. That helped a lot going to, to uni in England because at that time I was in the Middle East for, for, for ages. So, yeah, it was, Definitely eye-opening, definitely. Mm -hmm. I know we're speaking so much about politics, but yeah, definitely, de definitely eye-opening. Mm -hmm. so Let's go back to what you were saying before. So do, do you do you think that the UK has a, has a ceiling? Yes, but only because... Because obviously, we as, as a consumer, yeah. we, we've seen it grow. Yeah. Like, I grew up listening to grime. Um, okay. So for me, seeing the scene... Well, grime and then UK rap, mm -hmm. where it was very small, where you had, like, the sneak bowls and okay. those yeah, kind yeah, of artists... Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it just started going from there. But my point is, is that I think people don't realize that there's still a ceiling, mm. even though like as a consumer, like for me, it has grown. But you, you're in the industry, you're yeah. there every day. And so you must feel like there is there, there is still more to go. We don't have as much money as America. So with that already, there's a ceiling um, until, you know, for for what we would call it we're smaller, you know, um, so there is, there is technically there is a ceiling, but we still have so much more to do and so much, so much more to go. Like, um, what, what else is? 
you know what, we are diversifying now. I think where the ceiling was, and whether artists like to admit it or not, because I think like, like there's this thing about, oh, like, you know, I remember one artist saying this, you know, to me and saying that it's different tax brackets. There are people that make music and there are people that commentate, comment on music. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Because the same artists will compare to America, but you don't realize that America is an amalgamation of music plus commentary on music. It works hand in hand. Um, we're only becoming accepting of, you know, these amazing podcasts and, and there has been a running commentary that, you know, artists should jump on, you know, like the half card po half cast podcast and, and other people's podcasts to kind of as part of their media runs. Plus mm -hmm. people from the UK don't really like to do media runs. You know, they don't, really, they don't really like to comment, commentate no, much. No, it's just one word answers. Yeah. So it's like, you know, we want this openness and transparency within a culture of, you know, entertainment and music to do that. You know, there's there's still a lot of work to do mm -hmm. um, if we want to emulate. And I, and I don't want to always compare to America, but I guess America is the benchmark of entertainment. Mm -hmm. That's it's the, it, it's the benchmark. Yeah, yeah, you know, but to do that you've got to become this inclusive cultural hub of, of everything that encompasses music mm -hmm. and the entertainment industry. So, yeah. 100%. So before we go into, like like I said, where you're going, mm -hmm. um, let's talk about social media mm -hmm. because um, for you, it was a catalyst. It helped you. It propelled you. You yeah. were able to use DMs and you were able to get into certain places that led on to other things. Yeah. But obviously, especially being locked down and, you know, the, the year that we've had, yeah. I think social media has affected people more now than more now than 100%. ever because they're on it more and naturally your consumption times are increasing. Like Apple tells you how long you spent on your screen I and know. you look at it and you think, whoa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so have you had any negative experiences? And, and if so, mm -hmm. what would you advise, especially women watching, um, yeah. you know, in terms of mental health and social media? 100%. I think... Um, at the beginning of lockdown, there was this thing. One thing I hate, right? This is actually what I hate. The whole thing that started with lockdown was this mentality of if you're not a hustler, if, if your hustle didn't come out during lockdown, then you're not a real hustler. Shut up. Just, just be quiet. Taser said the same thing. Did he, he say that? He said, well, he said, um, not verbatim, but he said mm. something along the lines of, you know, if if I want to watch TV all day, yeah, th and that's what feels right to me, then yeah. I'm gonna do that. Yeah. Don't listen to people that are saying you should be achieving a certain thing because that might not be the time for you. A hundred percent, and it's like, bro, like, forget that. The sensitivity of the time we are going through. How many people have lost their lives, have lost loved ones, have lost jobs, have lost livelihoods? Don't tell people to hustle hard. Like, no, like that is not, so, it's so stupid to even hear. So I remember when at the beginning of lockdown, it was okay, like content creators, get on your content because everyone's going to be watching. So you, like, I remember throwing myself of like, okay, cool, like I'm going to do this and this and this and this. When really and truly like, you know, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, gave us a time to sit and be still. Um, and unfortunately we just became more glued to, to technology naturally like it, it is what it is like I said like I, before I just if I wasn't doing what I do I wouldn't be on social media like I wouldn't because I don't know because I wouldn't need it I just wouldn't need it and uh, I just wouldn't but I know 
I'll be the first one to admit, like I'm scrolling through the ground. I'm like, yeah, next year I'm getting a BBL. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> what the bus it down chat bus it down. <laughs> I want my mum to move the way shit has is moving. And that's crazy that you say that because <laughs> there's probably girls out there that maybe look at you and think, ah, oh, you know, I would love this or I would yeah. love this, you know, whatever you have going on. Yeah. And but you're doing the same thing almost. It's a cycle. It's the same. Everyone's doing it to everyone. And um, it's just this like not real world that we jump into and it's corny. Like, like that's the thing. I hate that we've normalized things that we wouldn't normalize in an everyday life because it lives on social media. Um, so like corny shit and just, oh, it's just like, oh. <laughs> like I really, I don't know. So yeah, especially for, for women, it is so natural to, to be affected by what you see. I would just say, delete it if you need to. Delete it if it is not affect. Like delete it for a moment. Delete it forever. Delete it for a day. Delete it for an hour. Um, switch it off. Communicate. Like reach out to your people. You know, create relationships like with your friends. Like play game. Like there is a game which I would suggest that everyone and I know probably people on this podcast would like appreciate because of the style it is. But um, we're not really strangers. I don't know if you've seen the card game. It's incredible. It's like you've got different packs and it's like these opening questions that you can play with your your loved ones, relationships, family members, friends, people you've never even met before. Um, and like those kind of things, like find out- about, Real life communication. Yeah, find out about who, find out your friends, find mm -hmm. out about your friends because there's probably a lot of things you don't know about them as well, so. Yeah. yeah and also I think there's this pressure that, um, I'm, maybe I'm sure you've gone through it where mm. you feel like you have this pressure to follow someone but when you follow someone, this person, it almost makes you feel insecure. Yeah. And so amazing. it becomes a thing of, you should really just control what you see. But we, but we fall into all these emotions of, yeah, but I don't want this person to think they, I hate them, or you know, all this, yeah. all this anxiety that we build up inside of us. Yeah. Um, it's natural though, because if someone unfollowed you, like one of your friends, you'll be like, bro, why did you unfollow me? <laughs> but you just never sometimes. I don't know. And that's the thing is that we're learning as we go along because there's no blueprint. We're like almost first generation of mm. social media. The newer generation that have actually been born into it yeah. find it even more difficult. Yeah, and that's scary. Like it's actually, it's it's kind of scary. Um, and that's not to say I hate social media because social there's media pros is, and cons. Yeah, is like the birthplace of opportunity as well. Yeah. So like what? But it's it's those, it's that intrinsic thing of just, it's just working. I think the key is being able to detach yourself from it. Yeah. And and understanding that's not real life mm. and being able to separate yourself. Because I think as I have spoken to various different people from various different backgrounds, mm -hmm. you would think that the people with large followings or some some sort of audience, they would almost be attached to their phones. Yeah. But I've actually realized that the people that come onto the show, for example, mm -hmm. they do know how to separate themselves and they that's use it as, they use social media more for business or work purposes. Yeah. And so then it goes to the argument that the people that are really consumers only, mm. they fall into the trap more and they feel yeah. that they should be on social media because this person's on it, that's not knowing that, that this person actually isn't really on it. That's actually a really interesting point. Definitely, 100%. Even like, because it's, it's a game I know, I have one of my girls asked me the other day, she's like, why don't you post more um, just sexier pictures because they get more likes <laughs> or whatever. And I, I was just like, so disgusting. <laughs> but anyway, um, like I think very early on, I knew that 
I did not want to fall into the social media trap. So um, I know that even now, like I need to go through a complete rebrand of my own social media um, and just not care about the metrics or what it means because you know, people aren't, people, the truth of the matter is people don't like my work stuff. They only like my Instagram pics, <laughs> but I'm not like, and I think that's the hardest thing with a presenter as a woman as well. Um, Cause I know some of my female friends go through this is separating between being a presenter or an Instagram girl or an, mm -hmm. an IG model. It's like, you know, your content. Yes, the, the pre-IG girl pics will get, you know, the engagement, which essentially is what, brands are looking for or whatever and then their work stuff will just get like zero to none um so in terms of branding it's like creating that um balance yeah that definitely definitely balance but i feel like i'm happy that i never bought into into it all now i can definitely i think confidently say that i don't actually care you've just done it your way yeah yeah mm -hmm. and i want to keep it my way i think so yeah i'm, I'm happy with that definitely yeah. so going back to the story now because mm -hmm. i think we spoke a lot about listening party yeah but that's not obviously you're you're not limited at that and no. there's mm -hmm. there's a lot more to you than that so mm -hmm. what else can people expect from you and and where are you going where's the vision leading you yeah so um I feel like, as people would dumb, like Tricky will always cause me international ads, but yeah, for me, I'm definitely looking to get into just like into international pockets. So whether that's making a trip into America, going to France, um, I over lockdown, which was like an amazing thing during lockdown, was offered a role at Apple Music, which is huge for me because I remember, and this is so cliche, you know, like manifestations. I remember writing down the radio station I wanted to be at and it was always Apple simply because of their their international kind of reach. reach. Yeah, and grasp on the world and what that could lead and going into other places. And that is like, like I could cry thinking about like actually getting a job like a, a you know like that as my first radio gig like I'd never really done radio before that so to come and just jump into radio and be on Apple is like what the hell <laughs> so that is incredible and then um and yeah creating like you know I've got through the eyes of which is my um where I interview my favorite creatives and I want it to be why I'm taking my time with it is because I don't want to interview people that don't have anything to say. Um, and it's not because people, you could say the things that will go viral or you could say yeah. the things like whatever, but I really value and love, you know, the feeling and the conversation and the ah moments and the like, and the wow moments. So even if that means I need to even hone in in my own craft as well into getting into like, okay, you know, or the relationships or getting the people that I really, really want on it. Um, yeah, I'm being patient with that. So yeah, like just building a brand, international domination <laughs> and uh, making a lot of money. <laughs> making a lot of money. <laughs> so that's basically where I'm kind of branching out into. Mm -hmm. So for you, like obviously that's your picture and that's your vision. Mm -hmm. But for people that want to follow a similar path to you, mm -hmm. because being a presenter is quite, 
well, it's almost a new con- newer concept, I would say, yeah. as a career path. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of people initially, they just stumbled across it. They were trying to do TV and then they thought, you know what, let's yeah, do, yeah, let's yeah, do yeah, presenting. Yeah. But for you, it was actually a career choice. And that's definitely the case for a lot of people potentially watching 100%. and listening. So you did the DMs mm-hmm. and that was your journey. And that was what, a couple of years ago, I'm guessing? Um, two years ago. Two years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of things happened in two years. Yeah. But for anyone that wants to follow that similar path, because you have got to you know, Apple, which yeah. is huge in itself, what would you recommend? So one thing that I will know about, that I know about the presenting game recently, it's not the same setup it was before, let alone even two years ago. Um, it is now people look for personalities to be presenters. So where before you had traditional presenters mm-hmm. who would present and, you, and whatnot, now they have stirred into okay let's get this person who does you know this on youtube or this on this and has this you know eclectic personality for this thing to present so it's like this cross so i would probably say and this is what everyone really told me is is create your own content and brand so whatever that is find it like and that's the difficult part the difficult part is finding who you are and who you want to present yourself as as well. And so if it's, I don't know, if you're into football, you've seen filthy fellas, like they've created like a whole brand of like commentating on, it's, it's incredible to see. Um, Nella Rose, who went from, you know, this this YouTube influencer who did, you know, discussions with her university friends. She's doing amazing things, chunks. Um, so yeah, find what works for you figure out who you are, figure out why you want it, because that will also inform your decision process. Um, and yeah, I would say reach out to who you need to reach out to, um, watch who you need to watch, learn your skill, learn your craft, and just don't stop because it will take time. <laughs> it will take time to have patience. That's my thing. What's some realistic advice on patience because I think mm. we, we we speak about it and we say you know be patient and I think people almost assume that the people saying be patient you know have almost got this rise to success quickly yeah. but they don't know the graph that maybe well now they do now they yeah, know the graph yeah. that you've been into but um, realistic advice because I'm sure there was days where there was yeah. hard times um, yeah, in your journey so what what you know just as a as a lot leaving point like what would you say as a rule of page, patience yeah. it's hard because some people will do it in a year what someone needs to do in five years so it's it's really difficult but surround yourself with love like surround yourself with love because there will be days if you're ready for like the way you're just crying yourself to sleep ah it's never gonna work oh, da, 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 da. surround yourself with love people and not everyone is fortunate enough but I have people that believe in me sometimes more than I believe in myself um so yeah ultimate friendships uh if it's family um and if you don't then maybe watch content even like you know that that you that can install the confidence and you have to be so sure you know what if you're not sure of yourself if you if you're not confident that you're going to do it in the time that you're going to do it then you're probably not going to do it. Like as harsh as that. Set realistic goals. Yeah. You have to be, believe in yourself more than you, <laughs> than, than the actual thing itself. Otherwise, it's, it's difficult. It's very difficult. But yeah, just love. Amazing. So. I can't believe how quick this, this, 
this podcast went. Yeah. I, mean, I was just I was just intrigued about the female perspective and I was just diving <laughs> in and forgot what was going on. But um we're, we're we're coming to the end of the show. So we're gonna we're gonna now do something, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it's a new segment that we've released in okay. 2021. Mm-hmm. Um it's called the rapid fire questions. Okay. So because we talk about a lot of serious things, I'm mm-hmm. sure there's a lot of people watching that wanna know just n- more about Nada on a okay. personal level. Cool. So you have well, just answer them as quickly as possible. You have gotcha. one minute to answer all of them. Ooh, yeah? wow, all right, cool? let's go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Night in or night out? Uh, night out. Instagram <laughs> or TikTok? Instagram. Pepsi or Coke? Coke. AJ or Fury? AJ. Money or love? Money! Give <laughs> me money. Really? <laughs> no, but I'm going to convince myself. That's what myself. you tell yourself. Uh, that's what I tell myself. <laughs> Texting or calling? Uh, calling. Laundry or dishes? Uh, laundry. Bath or shower? Bath. Coffee or tea? Tea. Winter or summer? Summer. Messi or Ronaldo? Not sure if you watch Messi. football. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Passenger or driver? Passenger. Early riser or night owl? Night owl. Nice car or nice home? Nice home. iOS or Android? iOS. <laughs> Pizza or burgers? Pizza. Uh, cardio or weights? Weights. Netflix or YouTube? YouTube. You're just saying that because you're on YouTube. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> Netflix. No, but YouTube because you find more. There's just more options. Comedy <laughs> or horror? Comedy. Perfect, done. Yay! So, so you actually watch YouTube more than we f- we beat the town. By yeah, the YouTube more than Netflix. There's so much more on YouTube. Like, there's just so much, and because I love interviews, like I am a religious watcher of like, you know, whether it's Joe Budden, Charlemagne, Angie Martinez, like those are you know drink champs. Oh my god, I've been binging ch- drink champs recently. So yeah, those. Are you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Have you? Do you know, when you were younger, did you yeah. used to watch interviews? Yeah. You know, I, did. I I just realized this recently, yeah, uh-huh. that I when I was young, I used to have this fascin- fascination of watching interviews. Really, whether it was artists, whether it was entrepreneurs, whatever mm-hmm. it was, I used to just be a real consumer. Yeah. I, and then I remember I said to myself, you know what, I want to build a platform when I was like sixteen, Incredible. but it just never fruitioned. And then I had this thought, like, wow, you know. It's crazy. Yeah, like life comes in full yeah, circle sometimes. It's crazy. So, so it's nice. And when you're doing something that you really enjoy, because as you said, creating content is not cheap. Yeah. You know, we spend thousands of pounds just to create content that is going to mm-hmm. impact people. And you don't really see a great ROI, like, no, you know, especially I mean, at the beginning. Uh, and But it becomes about your purpose and it becomes about what you enjoy doing. So definitely follow your dreams. That's yeah. what I would say. 100%, 100%. So Nada, I'm sure there's loads of people that have seen you for the first time. So for anyone that wants to follow your journey and see everything you've got mm-hmm. going on at Apple, yeah. where can they follow you? It is say Nada, say with two Y's and Nada with two A's on Instagram. And then it just flows from there. Like YouTube, it's the same thing. So yeah, that's me. Perfect. So we'll put that all in the description. Yes. Thank you so much Thank for coming for on. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for watching and listening. I hope to see you soon. Be sure to subscribe and we'll see you soon.